I have friends that I know hate Donald Trump. And I know that they know that I voted for Donald Trump. And I feel like I'm pulling so much extra weight right now just to stay friends. And that's so, that's so disheartening, you know? It's like, man, really? Hey guys, I'm Dan Koch, soon to be joined by Ellen Morrow. Welcome to the Depolarized Podcast. Instead of the normal tagline, let's try another one out today. Instead of saying, we're looking for common ground at the intersection of faith, psychology, and politics, how about Welcome to Depolarize, a podcast for people who are sick of being polarized? Or how about Welcome to Depolarize podcast, a podcast for people who are sick of following their own worst impulses into territories of judgment and okay that's too long i'm gonna have to work on that one anyway i'm just trying to get to something that's like i'm frustrated i'm fed up with knowing that i judge other people i'm fed up with being sold crap through social media algorithms that feeds my outrage i'm sick of being sold outrage from political parties and candidates i want to move past that as a person and i hope that you do too anyway i do have a little announcement before we get into the episode A few different people brought this to my attention based on a couple previous episodes, and I think that they were right to. And so it's a kind of a correction slash explanation. A couple times, Ellen and I have basically said that somebody answering a survey saying, there's nothing that Donald Trump could do to win my support is essentially equal to someone saying, there is nothing that Donald Trump could do that would make him lose my support. And a few people pointed out, you know what, Dan, that's actually not true. There is a meaningful difference between never Trump and forever Trump, we might say. And that difference is essentially this. Complete devotion to a leader, a politician, a person, is never justified. Especially from the perspective of Christianity, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord. Whereas on the other hand, complete skepticism about a leader is sometimes justified. Now, the depolarization bit is this. Good-intentioned, good-hearted, intelligent people can disagree about whether or not Trump is the type of leader that ought to be resisted at every turn. That's where I don't know the answer. I thought that was good feedback and I wanted to acknowledge it. This week is part two of our white evangelical Trump supporters. We're going to hear how political their churches are, what news sources they pay attention to and trust. We're going to talk about prominent evangelical leaders and their public support for Trump. And we're going to talk about the Access Hollywood tapes. Sometimes I call them the Hollywood Access tapes. I don't know why I mix that up, but you understand what I'm talking about. We're going to start off with how political is your church environment And actually, basically all the Trump voters that I interviewed said, not that political. How overtly political is your church environment? So I've kind of been out of church for a a while, just recently found a, a good church, and they're not overtly political. Like the the first Sunday that I went, the whole conversation was just about, you know, like if you can't have unity with your your brother because he has a different political belief, that's a problem. Like you need to, to just put that to death and, you know, just love your brother. So it's bad to have like a 
mixture of like church, political, you know, this is how you should vote all the time. I think that people need to vote with their conscience and uh, voters are led. And it can be dangerous if there's just sort of a set thing that is rigid and gets outdated and ends up being harmful. I would say not overtly at all. It's any direction or leaning is very subtle. And I think it's approached from the ideas that we're fellow believers and we can disagree and still love each other and get along. So that's good, right? Yeah, I mean, that's good. And I I can attest to the other eight interviews. No one is in a really hyper-political church environment. No one that you talk to. That I talk to, sorry, yes. None of the people I talked to were sort of getting their political views from the pulpit, from and their all, own pastors. They all, honestly, they all sound like really smart, level-headed people. So I would, I would assume that from from them. Okay, but we might still think about information sources. I think about this a lot. Sometimes I'll watch Fox News, and after a few minutes, I start to get really overwhelmed. Have you ever done this before? I subscribe to Fox News. Yeah, and I, I know what you're feeling. What do you mean you subscribe to I it? I subscribe. I, you know, on, on Apple, the news app. Yeah. I have mixed it to where I get Fox News, CNN, Huffington Post, and something else sort of on the other. I, yeah. I make sure that I get a mix. That's good. Although I would say that Fox News, the website, like the news aggregator is not as in your face as the cable channel. Because I can't, I could never, I've gone there and is. I can't. Right. So I'm talking about watching TV, like watching like Tucker Fox Carlson or Fox and Friends or Sean Hannity or whatever. I, it's I grew up watching Hannity and Combs. Yeah. So I sometimes think, well, if this is what people are watching, like if they're just consuming this all the time, that would certainly affect their worldview. And I was wondering if what we would find with our voters is that that's what they were doing. Oh, so I, I asked about information and news sources and I actually found that most of them use multiple sources much like our non-Trump voters do. Like we do. do. Yeah, or like you and I do. I suppose 570 AM, as far as the conservative things, Uh NPR for the liberal side of things. So you'd say you listen to both? Yes. Just to give it a... And I work with union people that are usually pro-democratic, so I listen to a lot of the stuff that they have to say. Mostly for news, we watch NBC News. We also watch some Fox, but gets overwhelming after a while. Just too much talk about the same thing over and over again. Another consistent finding was quite a bit of skepticism about what could be learned from major news outlets. Well, there's no question in my mind that the major news media in the U.S. today are very, very biased. We view them skeptically because we believe they, they're promoting the leftist progressive agenda. So we read it with a grain of salt. We still do read it. So it sounds like you're saying the newspaper and NBC News you take with a grain of salt. Fox News, you just can't watch too much of it because it gets overwhelming. Do you take Fox News with a grain of salt as well? We probably tend to approve of their approach to the news. We do think that the established press is biased, tend to find everything negative about Republicans and Christians when they can. Hmm. 
Fox tends to be more supportive of Christians. And so in that sense, it's not necessarily that Fox News is unbiased. It's just that there is a bias against Republicans and against Christians or even evangelicals in the rest of the press that's not present in Fox. And so you're not you're not having to kind of constantly yeah. factor in that in your mind. We're probably share the same biases that Fox News has. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's why you can't see them, right? Yeah. Seth brought up a classic right-wing critique of the media, but he put a little meat on the bone as he did so. For lack of a better phrase, and forgive me for using it here, but the mainstream media <laughs> has done our nation a great disservice because I do not think that they fairly covered the Clinton administration or Hillary Clinton's tenure at state, barely. I don't think they covered it honestly. I think that a lot of her failures and weaknesses in those roles, her husband's failures and weaknesses in foreign diplomacy got washed over for partisan reasons. And I just think that's a shame. I I feel like it's been incredibly stringent when it comes to Republican or conservative foreign policy and everything's critiqued to death. And I don't know that's a typical... Republican or conservative gripe, but I think that there's a lot of merit to it. And it's it, foreign policy is one of the areas where I think it's done our country the most disservice. And it's to me, it's, it's just in that nobody even knew that the con network existed until Bush took it down. And that to me is a, just a part of terrible reporting. And lastly, I found some significant humility about bias and news sources. Are there any news outlets that you think are fairly unbiased or as unbiased as as can be reasonably hoped for uh none of them humans are inherently biased but i would argue that no news outlet is even close to not biased i mean you just can't be cnn everybody says cnn is very centric cnn is very far to the left even worse than msnbc in my opinion at this point you know breitbart is very very far to the right you know it's somewhat of a trump news outlet and i don't really like that There's no news outlets that aren't biased in a significant way, period. Okay, Ellen, there was a lot in there. You got some really big smiles a few times listening back. What are your take? What's your take on all that? I love Phil. Phil's such a sweetheart. He's so sweet. I'd love to sit on his giant cap because you know he's got like a recliner. And watch Fox and Friends with him. There was, I believe there was a recliner, yeah. <laughs> you knew it. Also, what? I love that you do an impression of Winston's deep voice. You said, uh, none of them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I but also, he was, that was a great I straightforward know, answer that he when, gave. When people say mainstream media, wh- yeah. what are they just talking about? NBC, ABC, and CNN? CNN, just CBS, it, yeah, basically. Because you have to seek out... Other stuff. I mean, the thing is, what I, the alternative to mainstream media is what? Obviously, people think Fox, but Fox is incredibly mainstream. I mean, they are right. the biggest That's why news I get company. confused about why people yes. use so, that term. It is a confusing term the way that people use it. I don't think it's a correct term. Okay, well, that's fine. Anything else you'd I like need to, to call say about Joy this? again? See what Joy thinks about it. Yeah. Anything else you want to say? No. Okay. Well, I'd like to say that I just was pretty impressed with the breadth of news sources and sort of the clarity of thinking about bias. Of course, I disagree with some of them on some of what they, you know, think a channel is or a particular station is or whatever. But honestly, I I felt like I'm dealing with serious adults here on these 
questions of sources and bias. As opposed to the toddlers that you also interviewed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know if we'll air those episodes, but I did interview we nine, do a kids Trump, episode. nine Trump voting toddlers. <laughs> So one of the things that has bothered me the most throughout 2016 and beyond are the high-profile evangelical voices who speak out in defense of Trump. Not because they're defending Trump per se, but more because they're using what appears to me to be pretty transparently false Christian language. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, Christianese. So here is an example. This is Jerry Falwell Jr., president of Liberty University. Well, I've gotten to know Donald Trump very well over the last four years, and I've seen his generosity to um, strangers, to his employees, his warm relationship with his children, and I'm convinced, I spent a lot of time with him on his plane recently, and in personal conversations, I'm convinced he's a Christian. I believe he has faith in Jesus Christ. And here is Trump himself with Anderson Cooper following up on Trump's statement at an event in Iowa where he said that he basically does not ask God for forgiveness. talked about this on Saturday at this uh, Faith and Values Forum, and I think and a lot of people haven't heard you talk about it and were really interested. Okay, fine. Um, in Iowa. And by the way, I was very well received. I had the biggest standing ovation, the biggest standing ovation, and it was really a great day. It was really a great day. And, and a lot of people didn't focus on it because they got caught up in the whole McCain thing. You said at the Faith Forum, when asked if you've ever asked forgiveness from God, you said, I'm not sure I have. I just go on and try to do a better job from there. I don't think so. And that surprised some, some well, people I don't of think faith. So. You know, and then I said communion. I go to communion, and that's asking forgiveness. You know, in my For you, that's, that's what communion Well, it's is. a form of asking for forgiveness, yes, communion. And I go to church a lot, but you, and I'm Protestant. I'm but, Presbyterian. But you... It, the idea of asking for forgiveness, that's not a central, is that a central tenet for you? Is that, or is that something well, that just... Well, I, I like to work where I don't really have to ask for... I like to do the right thing where I don't have to actually ask for forgiveness. Does that make sense to you? You know, where you don't make such bad things that you don't have to ask for forgiveness. I mean, I try and lead a life where I don't have to ask God for forgiveness. But I'm Protestant. I'm Presbyterian, which a lot of people are surprised to hear. I go to church. The great Norman Vincent Peale was my minister for years. The power of positive thinking was fantastic. And so for forgiveness, that, that notion of forgiveness, um, that's not a central Well, I try not you. to make mistakes where I have to ask for forgiveness, for one thing. So when I'm asked a question like that, it's like, you know, I don't like to make a lot of mistakes. So, and I would never ask the detail, but the idea of repentance, is that something that's important to you? I think repenting is terrific. But, I mean, is that, but do you feel the need to? If I that, make a mistake, me, part of if I make a mistake, yeah, I think it's great. But I try not to make mistakes. I mean, why why do I have to, you know, repent? Why do I have to ask for forgiveness if you're not making mistakes? I work hard. I'm an honorable person. I have thousands of people that work for me. I've employed tens of thousands of people over the years. You give millions to charity. I give. I built the Vietnam. Memorial in Lower Manhattan L with a small group of people. At the Faith Forum, you talked about communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, different faiths, right. all the different things. You said that you drink my little wine and have my little cracker. I'm, I'm drinking my little wine uh, right now. Yes, uh, we both are. But Ellen, does that sound like Christianity to you? I will say that I, I went into that clip thinking, okay, hear him out. I was expecting him to say, I don't have anything to repent yeah. for. Man, maybe that was a different time, but I see what he's saying, and it's almost like 
and maybe this is me being pro-Trump, but it does kind of sound like he has a very, very, very baby faith. Okay, that's how it sounds to you? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. To me, it really sounds not like Christianity. Uh-huh. Like I'm also trying to be very open. Well, that's good. <laughs> I applaud that. But I mean, my understanding of Christianity is that we are in constant need of forgiveness. Like the whole point of Christianity is humans fail in an ongoing manner. And God loves you anyway. That's if you could boil it to like. Right. And I'm just saying maybe sentences. he doesn't understand that. Right. So but then it's just I would just say it's not Christianity. He has like a regular oh, sure. American civil sort of understanding of like a a vague Oprah-esque Protestantism. But it's right. not Christianity. Billy Graham would never say those things. Certainly not. <laughs> Certainly not. But let's let's check in with the voters. Do they think Trump is a Christian? Phil. Bless his heart. We love Phil. I love Phil. Held out some hope that Trump might really grow in his faith. Yeah, I really don't know. I I don't know him personally. And even if I did, then I'm making a decision that I have no information on. Mm. I've known some obnoxious Christians in my life, <laughs> so it's possible he is. My hope would be that he is. But I've heard nothing either way. And it doesn't sound, it sounds like any of that language about Trump being the Christian candidate or mm-hmm. it, it didn't really, it didn't have anything to do with your vote for him, really. No. Mm-mm. Still others were pretty confident that Trump is not, in fact, a Christian. My, ideally, the president would be a God-fearing Christian. I honestly don't think Donald Trump is a Christian at all. He may be. I can't judge him in salvation. From the fruits that I've seen, I don't think Trump is a Christian, and I don't think Obama's a Christian either. I don't think either of them are. When he's going to talk to Liberty, I think he'll read a verse from the Bible, but I think any knowing Christian knows, like, this isn't at all convincing. (laughs) I just feel like it's so so right out there. It's just like, there's really not a question about this. So, Ellen, it sounds like these Trump voters are even less convinced of Trump's Christianity than you are. Which makes me feel a little bit better because I've been struggling with this concept that they believe he's a Christian no matter what he does. Yeah. So it makes me feel a little bit better about the sacred parts. Yeah, at least the people that we're talking to, it's not about visions of Donald Trump in heaven. They're okay with, as a Christian voter, they're okay with him not being a Christian. It sounds like for a lot of them, yes. Which makes me feel better. Yeah. Somehow. And if we remember what Roxanne said a couple weeks ago... They aren't voting for him because they like him, but more, lesser of two evils, or not voting for Hillary. So it it would make sense that they don't need this, oh, he's the right godly man for the job kind of thinking. Right. Yeah. He's not the new prophet. (laughs) No, he's not the new prophet. Okay, Ellen, it's time. Okay. It's time to talk about the tapes, the Hollywood oh, Access tapes. I love these tapes. You love them? Now, I should say I love these tapes as a topic. You I love do talking not, about the tapes. I don't listen to the tapes. You love tape talk, but you fun. don't want to listen to the tapes. I don't want to listen. I don't want to listen to his voice ever again on these tapes. Okay. Well, can you we're explain? We're not going to play them, are we? We're not, not going to play them, okay. no. But can you explain for us what? these were and why it's important. Can't, how much can I say? <laughs> as much as you'd like, but keep it within reason. Okay. So, Access Hollywood, what year was it? 
2013, I think it was like 11 years earlier, 12 years earlier. So not, not that, not all that long ago, but certainly. Oh, four or something like that. Yeah. So what was his name? Bush. Billy Bush. Billy Bush, an Access Hollywood reporter, news guy, as I would say, not totally a reporter. Yeah. He's an news entertainment me. news guy. Entertainment news guy. He had Donald Trump on and they had gone into the tour bus and their mics were still on and they were just sort of gabbing about like the celebrity lifestyle. Well, more accurately, Trump was bragging about women he was trying to sleep with. And that's what I was going to say. So they were just sort of like shooting the shit. And then Donald Trump kind of went for it and he pushed a lot of boundaries and said a lot of inappropriate things. And I would like to applaud Billy Bush for later making a stand against the things that Trump said said, and also saying that that not that shaming should ever be the way that we get people to change but he really did feel convicted by that and especially because he's got daughters and that was really cool to see I think so you think Billy Bush handled the downfall well yep the fallout anyway so Trump basically bragged about what most people would consider sexual assault Grabbing women by their genitals. And honestly, I who knows if Donald Trump ever even did that. I think that he is so prideful that he was just like, oh, and you can grab them and they love it. You don't think he actually did it. It doesn't matter to me. But a lot of women have come forward and accused him of assaulting right. them. That's a separate issue, which I think proves that he probably did do it. So you're but just, I'm saying yeah. just just by him saying that, the point is you not that, that he's You don't think that he's referencing... Yes. Right. You don't think he's I think confessing. he's just okay. boasting about the... He, he's just making, making it sound like he could do all those things or like... Right. And that's problematic either way whether it happened or not that's like that's like a lame dude thing to do but i think that the women coming forward lends quite a bit of credence to the fact that you know innocent until proven guilty but might be a part of a larger culture in his own person of not respecting women and being cavalier about sexual assault yes so that's that's the worry and you know because it's just locker room talk dan I don't know how you talk in the (laughs) locker room at the gym. Oh, gosh. I've been in some locker rooms. I don't talk like that. But you probably don't talk like that. No. (laughs) So I I asked about this. I had to ask about this, right? I mean, we had to ask about it. So we got a variety of responses, but a few themes repeated themselves. Number one, that Trump publicly apologized for these comments afterwards. A lot of the voters mentioned that. That was important to them. Number two was that it was a long time ago. And then number three, and probably the most surprising to me, was that Perhaps Trump was simply describing a factual state of the world, not actually talking about his own actions. Okay, so he's a billionaire playboy and he's saying terrible stuff. I I think he had serious issues. I've heard that he's apologized for it and wants to change and, you know, make a better way. I hope that's true. But yeah, that was that was pretty concerning when I first saw it. So would you say that he got your vote in spite of the behavior or, or whatever, in spite of those tapes? Absolutely. Yeah, I was voting for him for policies, 100%. If it was just down to his character and his personality and everything, I, I would not have voted for him. <laughs> I think he was being descriptive and not prescriptive. I'm not going to defend what he said. He was describing what happens in his life, and so for that part, it didn't bother me. He was just telling what happens in his life. I mean, people will just let him do things that he shouldn't do. Now, are we talking about what, what his actions? Oh, they're despicable. I mean, you can't do things like that to people. It's 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 just wrong. 
I grew up working in the woods. I spent two years in the Army, and so locker room talk was... It, it was there all the time. It, it was nothing new to me. I was disappointed in him for thinking that way and talking that way, but it didn't shock me. Ellen, you're chomping at the where dead the late? Where are my ladies at? <laughs> One, Winston, everything you say sounds nice. So I'll, I'll agree with him every time he says anything, even if I disagree with it because of that voice. David, when you get married one day and have a wife and you remember how you felt about Donald Trump saying those things about women, you will change your mind. Phil, locker room talk. Hold on. To be fair, David (laughs) did say the actions themselves are despicable. But he said he's described. He said Donald Trump's describing what happens in his life. Yeah. So David took a fairer view of what Donald Trump meant, but. David did say that if he did the things he talked about, that's despicable. So you got to mm. give David credit for that. He sure. did say that. I, okay. I also understand that saying something, making a joke is different than actually doing the thing. Sure. But the kind of person that makes those jokes, you have to think, what are they capable of? Right. And then the 50 or so women. Where is their forward. heart at? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Phil. Phil. I mean, <laughs> Phil, sounds like you grew up in maybe the 50s. <laughs> And things were different then. And I imagine Phil has women in his life that he loves. He does. I would love Phil. I'd love to be married to Phil. Yeah, maybe if you were also older, but yeah. (laughs) My husband's going to be a Phil one day. But my heart (laughs) wants to say, Phil, that woman that Donald Trump is talking about, those women, these, these faceless women, those are your daughters. That's your wife. This is where I struggled with interviewing my dad because he mentioned something about like, well, you know, those women in Hollywood, they're kind of asking for it. We're about to get to that. Yeah. And my heart just sinks listening to these guys justify, well, but he was just sort of making, why is making those jokes okay? Okay. So you say your heart I'm getting all, I'm sitting up straight. You see this? Yeah. You've got amazing posture right now. I'm all fired up. Okay. So just tell us a little bit more. I mean, I'm a guy, so... I don't have the same perspective. I don't have the same experience about this stuff. I was, I was horrified by it, but it, I don't feel personally sort of, you know, the same kind of thing that you're describing. What is that feeling like? It feels like you don't matter. It feels like it's guy to guy, man to man. Hmm. And women are these sort of throwaways and you can do to women whatever you want. You can say about them whatever you want. And I I tend to actually be pretty chauvinistic. And when I heard that tape, it just made me sick. It made me sick. Maybe it's because I have a daughter now, but mostly because I have been taken advantage of and I have been treated like what he's describing And I want someone to say, hey, no, that's not okay. You can't talk about that. That's bullshit. You actually can't be in a leadership position. Hmm. There's a couple of different, we break this down a couple of ways, but he's obviously telling this to Billy Bush to get some sort of rise out of Billy Bush or to to gain some sort of like, look what I can do. It's, It's a prideful move, whether he ever grabbed a woman or not. And it's gross to me that the women are the part of the story that get to be the trash. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
why didn't he say, you know, I can just walk down the street and kick a dog if I want to. I see what what you're saying. saying? Why is it women? Why did it have to be women as the victim of the story? It's the most macho thing he can do. Right. Yeah. That's a problem for me. As women, we have to deal with this kind of stuff. Maybe not that extremely every day, but we have to deal with this stuff every day. And to have the president of the United States of America sitting on his throne, he's the leader, and have 81% of white evangelicals voting for the man that made me feel like trash and everyone was okay with it Yeah, makes me feel shitty. Mic drop. Enter that clip of David crying again. Because <laughs> I can't, I can't cry. I'm stone cold. Oh, well, we're going to save the clip of David. Rather than agree with you and respond, I'm going to play this part where I was talking with Seth, who had kind of given me some of these sort of standard answers, right? But since he's such a process-minded person, I wanted to push him further on what he thought should be done. So this is me kind of pushing back to him in the middle of our conversation about the Hollywood Access tapes after he's given me some sort of pat answers. Let's do it. Go to Seth. Roll the tape. You know, some people would say that there's a difference between Bill Clinton, for instance, lying about Monica Lewinsky and what appeared to be sort of like a bragging about sexual assault, like grabbing women by their genitals. And and that sort of just being like a it's kind of a different line to cross. And then to not even really recant that, to just kind of call it locker room talk and to sort of maybe not get the distinction between, yeah, like she had big tits she's super hot and like (laughs) and like these women let me grope them you know assault them whenever i want like that trump didn't really seem to see a distinction between those two things and i think that alarmed a lot of people yeah i realized like the risk i'm running here but um (laughs) i I wouldn't i wouldn't consider that sexual assault what he said or or an advocation sorry but uh, to be clear to grab a person by their genitals would not be sexual assault well, it would have to be an, it's a legal term and it would have to be an unwanted touching. Sure. So yeah. there, there's, there'd have to be an offended party and then the offending party. And you'd have to establish, did the offending party grab this person's genitals against their will? Yeah. And that would be sexual assault. Yeah. He wasn't necessarily laying out that it was unwanted or, you know, or whatever. He was, he was giving a broader statement, but let right. me ask you. So, you know, a number of women came forward after the, that came out and, and said, I was sexually assaulted by Donald Trump. Is your opinion that we can't be sure about that or it's likely to be, you know, kind of a media blitz that should be ignored? Or is it like, hey, get to the bottom of it. And if it were to be proven in court, then I think he should resign. Or, you know, what's like, where do you kind of fall on that? Because obviously they're just accusations at this point. Yeah. Well, a few of them, a few of them, my understanding was they have been resolved already and they just sort of got hashed up again. Uh, legally resolved, that is. If someone's going to really bring charges against him, then they should. They should pursue that to the full extent. That's between that offended party and him. And heck yeah, I mean, if the guy committed a crime against someone and there's actual evidence that he did, then that should they should have their day in court about it. And yeah, if a president was found convicted of something like that, I think that would disqualify him from the position. No question. Cannot tell how you're feeling right now. When he was just saying resolved, 
Yeah, they were settled. Settled. Sure. Meaning the ladies were paid off. Possibly they were paid off, yes. I mean, you it's difficult. It's closed cases. Right, but, but that's the, in yeah. our legal system, it's shitty to me that just because a case is settled does not mean that the person was innocent. Right, but so there's that a, doesn't right. mean anything to me. Totally. But there's a reason that settling works, right? I mean, it, it seals records or whatever it does. Which is shady to me. When is that not shady? No, because you can have people trying to defame famous people and maybe they can settle a case for $5,000 that was totally fraudulent anyway and then get a, not, a bunch of bad press to not get written. I mean, it's, it's complicated. Right, but in my mind, and as like a... And I've called myself a crime junkie before, which I have to stop to calling myself. Crime but junkie is awful. If, if you if you are, yeah, I just go commit a bunch of crimes. <laughs> if you're innocent and it's clear to the jury and the judge and everything is on record, then we should be able to see. If we should be able to see that. No, but these are ones that didn't go to court, right? So you're talking about a woman showing up saying, you did this to me, yes. and the lawyer of the, yes. the Settled accused before is a saying, trial. hey girl, yes. let me just give you some cash. Well, I don't... Just say yes. <laughs> yes. That's what it is. It's okay. not necessarily that seedy. So my understanding, and I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding is that a lot of these cases are too long ago to be brought up, to be relitigated. I'm not sure that Seth's, I, I really don't know, but I'm not sure that Seth's point here is actually possible, that someone could actually sue Donald Trump in court for sexual assault. I don't know if that's actually a possibility. Why Why not? I don't know. Is it because you need to look it up or is it because you've thought about this and you still don't know? Because <laughs> I'm going to go look this up. Okay, let's, we're going to look it up. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to phone a friend here. Hey, Dan, what's up? Hey, Joe, my lawyer friend. I need, I'm phoning a friend in the middle of this Depolarize episode. We just heard from one of our Trump voters who said, look, if these women who have accused Trump of sexual harassment in the past or whatever, if there's actual evidence and they can take him to court, they should, and it should have their day in court. And if he is convicted, he should be, you know, punished and removed from office. No question. So then Ellen and I thought, well, is that actually possible? And we, of course, don't know. Uh, and you might. So I have a couple questions for you about this. Sure. Number one, the question of settling sexual harassment suits. Ellen has this feeling that it's always shady. Like, it's always shady that dudes settle sexual harassment suits. Are there cases where it is not shady to settle a sexual harassment suit, in your opinion? So I don't think a, a settlement necessarily means something shady is going on. A lot of times settlements result in pretty big payments of money to the victims. Yeah. And um, it saves them the sort of – look, going to court and like going to trial, it's it's a huge expense. And it's hugely intrusive and you have to get on the stand in public and people get to cross-examine you. And I think for a lot of victims, a settlement's better too because they don't have to go through that whole sort of massive public – Right. Intrusive thing. Okay. So, but let's say that now he's president and there is a woman or many women who are like, no, he really assaulted me. It really should disqualify him from office. We will take it. We will take the intrusion. We will pay the price, whatever. Yeah. Are any of them actually legally, is that an option for them? Why or why not? Okay. So first there's sort of two answers, two part answer. First, the president can be sued for sexual 
harassment or misconduct or whatever that he committed before he came into office. All right. Bill Clinton was sued while he was the president for exactly the same thing. And the U.S. Supreme Court actually decided the case and said, you can still sue the president, uh, at least for stuff he committed before coming into office. Okay. Now, your, your lawsuit will never result in him being kicked out of office, right? It would result in getting a judgment and getting an award of damages for whatever kind of tort or injury you suffered. But a private plaintiff can't bring a lawsuit and buy that lawsuit kick the president out of office. The only way the president can be removed from office is if Congress impeaches him or her. Correct. Okay. But they might choose to do that, especially if public opinion went that way or whatever. Right. I mean, look, if uh, if a bunch of lawsuits got filed and they revealed a bunch of shady stuff and it became a huge public nightmare, yes. I mean, we, we went through this in the 90s. <laughs> okay. And so are there any sort of like is statute of limitations at play here? Are some of these, if they've been settled, can they not be relitigated? Is it only someone who has not already had a case settled? Like, what are the rules around that? So, yeah, there are lots of reasons why, even if something did happen, you still might not be able to or want to bring a lawsuit. A settlement means that you give up your right to sue. So it still might have happened, but if you settled it, then you don't get to file a lawsuit. Statute of limitations means... For any kind of legal claim, there are a few exceptions, but for most legal claims, you have to bring it within a certain amount of time. And if that time runs out, you just can't bring the lawsuit. So if stuff happened long enough ago, it still might have happened, but the plaintiff or the victim wouldn't be able to bring a lawsuit. They could still talk about it and say this happened to them, but there'd be no uh, remedy in court. Okay, so we can appreciate Seth's openness to like, hey, if Trump was convicted of something, I'm totally going along with it. But we should also say it's kind of a complicated picture in terms of what actually would be available to someone at this late date. Yeah. And I would also say, you know, even if you could bring a lawsuit, some of this stuff, you know, I I don't know a lot of the ins and outs of each individual case and, and all of these stories, but look, some of these, some of these things, you might not be eligible to get that much money, even if you won. And so it might not be worth the huge headache of filing a lawsuit, going to trial, doing all of that. And frankly, it's just easier to tell your story to the media. Thank you so much, Joe. Appreciate it. Yep. Anytime, Dan. What a time to be alive, huh? We, so, can, we can just do that. So it doesn't mean, though, that it didn't happen. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. There could be a lot of reasons why they wouldn't do a case. It would not be a criminal case. It would only be a civil case. It's complex. It's a complex situation. So there could be something to the fact that no one is actually taking him up on this. He said... Paula Jones did sue Bill Clinton for something like this while he was president. And so, how'd that work out? Well, it was part of, I don't know, it didn't work out well for him. I need to recap the 90s real quick. Yeah, we need to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do that right now. So it's possible, but there are a lot of reasons why it wouldn't happen. That's our recap. Now, let's get to the juice, Ellen, which is that you interviewed your own father about this, and I can see your face squirming and your... Finger half muscles of, tightening. Half of it is because of his answers, but half of it was because I found out that day I'm a, I'm a terrible, terrible interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I talked the entire time. No, I it's... love listening to myself talk, Dan. Well, you're in the That's right industry I now. I to do this podcast with you. Okay, so, but you did, you interviewed him, you had a, kind of a weird go of it, and this was the low point, right? Well, I don't know what you're going to play, so I assume the that you picked stuff. it out. Oh, yeah. This, this was, was the low was point. Tough. This was tough. I think anybody who heard the whole tape, which is only me, would agree that this is the low point. 
Let's. I I do. Wait, I want to say that my dad is a wonderful, providing, affectionate guy that has always been a wonderful dad my whole life. He has never been like creepy or weird or stepped over boundaries. So I just want to say that before we hear what I think you're going to play. That's good. Okay. But it nonetheless was a rough interaction. And here's that clip. Oh, is that the one where he talked about, grab. you know, that if you're rich, you know, girls let girls let you grab their vagina? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like that didn't even bother you at all. It didn't because it's a fact of life. What's a fact of life? Movie stars, people with a lot of money, money buys things and opens up doors and avenues, whether illicit or not that other people don't have. But the fact that he was kind of saying, yeah, women will let you do whatever you want. You can just, you know, essentially well, sexual assault. Well, if them. women let you do it, then they let you do it. So I guess, I guess technic, yeah, I mean, I see what you're, where you're getting around there. It's a, shame it that, it's a shame that women would allow you to do that, no matter how much money that you have. But you're not concerned that he's just talking like that? Like, character-wise, I guess. You're not worried about his character when he just, like, casually boasts uh, again, about, like, sexually assaulting Again, women. it's probably not a good thing to do. But, again, between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump was by far 100% better. Character-wise, Character-wise. Okay. You went through so many shifts in posture. <laughs> Your glasses are off. They're slammed on the desk. You're rubbing your eyes. You you laughed. You exclaimed. I laughed uh, only because I can't cry. Yeah. Uh, what's it like listening back to that? It's tough for me. It, it, that would be tough for me to listen to if he wasn't my dad. But imagine, mm. I mean, I'm a woman, used to be a girl, raised by this man, mm-hmm. who basically is saying like, hey, if women let you do it, go nuts. Well, I mean, no, he's not saying that. He's not saying go nuts, but he's saying it's <laughs> certainly my it's, it certainly doesn't disqualify them from public office. It doesn't disqualify him from public office in your dad's eyes. Right. It doesn't bother him. The humanity aspect of it, the relational aspect of it does not bother my dad. He well, again was really focused on like 401k. The the economy was his number one. But he did say Hillary is by far a worse person character-wise oh, than Trump. That's right. He did say 100%. So 100%. What, so I'm not... What do you think his argument is there? Maybe she's grabbed some guys by the wieners. Okay. Could we say... <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, if you can, like, if you that can say tits, SNL's. I can say wieners. Okay. I said it in quotes like a guy might well, say... Well, I am using the quotes now with my fingers. Okay. Could I mean that might be a good SNL sketch of Hillary Clinton grabbing guys by their wieners? But could we say that your dad is showing us that power-based sexual ethics is not that high on his moral hierarchy? Right, because and right? W- what he was saying. I mean, and to step back and step back from being his daughter and hear this to say. Right. We we know a long line of rock stars who make money and there's groupies and there's drugs and you can do whatever you want, whatever you want. And girls will just line up to be used by you. And it's it's consensual. It sounds like your dad is thinking it was consensual. That's what it sounds like to me. 
Now, yeah. the fact that I, yeah. many women have come forward and said this was not consensual right. d- is not on I his radar. I think maybe Trump was making it sound like, you know, they'll line yeah. up for you. It's hard, though. I mean, I got to say, I was cringing listening back, but I was also laughing at your response because we've talked about it a lot. If this was the first time I heard it, obviously, I wouldn't be laughing. We have been. It's so bad. Batting it's this so bad. clip back and forth for a while now. It's it's really something. But look, ultimately, as Roxanne said in week three, the revelation of these tapes came pretty late in the election. Most people's minds were made up and it was just down to the two options. Right. So right. here's another clip from Phil, our beloved Phil. I love Phil. About this. I don't approve of it. It's not something that I would laugh at or say it doesn't matter. But the alternative was someone who's going to promote abortion, who devalues my view of life so that if I talk against homosexuality and same-sex marriage, that's hate talk. I tell anybody that wants to know that I voted for Trump that I voted for him, I have no problem with that. But you and don't I don't feel like I've been singled out any more than anyone else at any time. That was, of course, Kenny, Ellen, your dad, leading us into our next question, where we will turn the lens on our own tribe. How have these Trump voters been treated by Hillary voters since the election? We have a group of retired men that meet, and I would say it's half progressive, half conservative. And so we've had some discussions. Uh, the, the comments I've seen that have been the most offensive have been on Facebook, people just writing us off. We're part of Hillary's deplorables, a basket of deplorables. Yeah. So. I have nosed my way into a lot of those conversations and have loved those conversations. I've never felt personally attacked by a Hillary voter. I have never felt like they yelled at me or shamed me or made me feel bad for having the point of view that I have. Mm -hmm. For the most part, when I present it, when I say, well, basically I, I prayed about it and that's what it... It's funny, the reaction is usually, well, can't argue with that <laughs> because right. they because there's a respect that I'm acting out of my worldview. Mm-hmm. And I think worldview just plays a huge role in it. And when I can understand that they're acting out of their worldviews, mm-hmm. then it allows us space to be able to respect each other. There's not, not a lot of neutrality. <laughs> well, can you describe briefly uh, an example of a, of a good one and an example of a bad interaction? I'd say <laughs> it's a little skewed because a good one now feels like an interaction where people didn't get angry or accuse me of being a racist or, or something crazy like that or imply something like that. You know, sometimes it's not an outright accusation, but an implication. Yeah. And a bad one would be now leaving on those terms where someone's just dismissing me as this, you know, this thing, this uh, ideological thing that I'm really not. How depressing is it that a good interaction for Seth with a Hillary voter is one in which they don't call him a racist? So how how are we here? Yeah. There's a little bit of log in our own eye here going on. Do you feel personally like you have treated Trump voters that way? I mean, are we even, as hosts of this show, 
treating them this? I mean, like, it's hard, right? Well, I was thinking when we had a bathroom break, I was thinking about how am I, have I turned into the one on this show where I'm just talking shit about all the Trump voters? Sometimes, but not always. You don't but only do that. But it is how I feel. And then, but I also hope it's clear that I have been a Republican my entire life right. up until maybe this year. I'm 34 and yeah. I feel like that counts for something. And I, I know how these people feel. I get it. I, when, when we're listening to these, these interviews, my heart just kind of, I know what that feels like. A lot of people that have been d- Democrats their whole life, yeah, liberals their whole life. I don't know when you talk about it being a personality. I don't, I, I think that that is, um, what is it called when it's environmental and like how you're raised? Nature, nurture, nature, nurture. Distinction. I think it's definitely that. And I don't have that. So I definitely feel for the conservatives, the Republicans who aren't racist and aren't terrible. I, I hate that I'm, I'm sort of folding into the other camp that are, that are making people feel this way. Well, I think and you're that's acting think a little bit do. out of a, like a, state of being injured and be feeling a little bit betrayed by the political party that you aligned with for so long. Yeah. I think that's it. And, and I hate to say old white men, but yeah, there's something to it. I want to say that some of my favorite people are old white men, but in this, the case with having two political parties, well, you know what, let's just say that on the Democrat, old white, there's a lot of old white men that are Democrats. True. But if you are a white man over 50 in America, it's like three to one, you're a Republican. Yeah. That's just true. We've already discussed this, and I said that they were dying off, and you said, well, let's not use that term. (laughs) They're aging. But they are dying off eventually. That is technically accurate, although I don't think we should wish for their early deaths. We're not celebrating it. No. So our next question is that question that I said I really loved in our first two episodes. What is the one thing that you most wish that non-Trump voters understood about you or your community? Oh, I like this one. Yeah. I think I wish non-Trump voters or Trump opponents didn't think of me as a racist. That would be good. I think quite a few people who I, I have been friends with have taken that perspective and not outright said it to me, but sort of implied it in some ways. And it's been really hurtful. You know, it's like that's that's a big deal. To me, that's not a light charge to make against somebody that's a pretty heavy charge yeah that's 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 one for sure i also wish that non-trump voters understood that my perspective of debating is really rooted in a genuine love for people and a love for the idea of america the experiment of america i love it i think it's great i think we have a great country and i think i understand what it was founded for philosophically Historically, I think I understand it well, and I wish people had that perspective instead of, ah, oh, he's, just, he's just a Trump guy or he's just a right-wing guy. I, ha- I have friends that I know hate Donald Trump, and I know that they know that I voted for Donald Trump, and I feel like I'm pulling so much extra weight right now just to stay friends. And that's so, that's so disheartening. That because I disagree with them, I don't hate homosexuals, I don't hate the blacks. That I love you. <laughs> like, I love you. I want to be motivated by love. And so often they look at the things that we believe and the things that we say and the things that are done in the name of Christianity 
and that doesn't look like love. Mm. And I believe that everyone is worthy of love. I believe that God loves everyone. God has loved me up to the brim. And so whatever love comes through me, I can throw. God has given me an abundant amount of grace. And so the amount of grace that he's given to me, I get to pass on to other people. He's forgiven me of so many things. And I get to offer that forgiveness to other people. And I don't think that everybody needs to think like me in order to be okay. And I will love you where you are. Thanks, Joy. Joy, my girl, Joy. You didn't like when Phil said the blacks. I don't think, I think upon re-listening to this, Phil might not like that he said the blacks. I think he just doesn't know I don't, I don't mind him use. saying the blacks. I understand that that's, he's just older. But I don't like that he put the homosexuals and the blacks together as if. I think he was just, no, I don't, I would not take anything. Okay, well then I'm glad I brought that up because let's just make it clear that Phil is a really compassionate, loving guy that loves the homosexuals and the blacks. Yes. I don't think he was lumping them. I think what he was saying was that liberal people accuse him of hating gay people and of hating black people for being conservative. That's what he meant. I see. I yes. think I was just thrown off and then by the, the fact, terminology. <laughs> the fact that he chose to say the black <laughs> kind of backpedaled a little it bit. It does sort of, you know, distract Again, from his point. Again, he was born in the 20s, so. <laughs> oh, poor Phil. I love Phil. He's you know I love Phil. Oh, gosh. Seth, though, talking about being called a racist. It's it's hard. It's hard. I, I don't. Well, I, one, it's a really, really shitty thing to be called, but sure. two, to be called that just because someone finds out who you voted for is yes, that's, a, that's a separate insane. issue. Yes. That's yes. So, so separated. Donald Trump may, in fact, be a racist. In fact, I think that I would lean toward he is. I'd lean toward, yes. Yeah, I mean, in, a, in kind of a deep sense, he's an old white male racist. You can be a racist and not believe you're a racist. Totally. So... Totally. But that does not make Seth a racist for voting for him. No, no, no. Those are very different. And so that sort of broke my heart hearing that again. And then Joy, of course. Joy's the best. She should watch Inside Out. I (laughs) think that's one of her favorite movies. Inside Out. It's it's my favorite movie of all time. You're just saying because the main character is named Joy? Yeah, and it's a great movie. Okay, so next season, we'll be doing movie recommendations with Ellen. That would be fun. But now we're getting to the real stuff. This is this the whole question. time hasn't been real stuff. No, this this is the question that got very personal with David. He talked for a long time, and I didn't interrupt him. I was happy to let him go because it felt like he was being so vulnerable and so honest. And that's hard to get when you interview people, especially that you've never met before. And I was very grateful to him for that. So I'm going to play a large chunk of his answer, longer than the other clips. Because I really think it's worth listening to. One little note, David talks very fast and he has a pretty thick southern accent. So you might miss a couple things, but you're going to get the gist of it. Ellen, are you ready for things to get emotional? Well, you your this Kleenex? is the language that I speak. So yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Here's David on what is the thing that you wish non-Trump voters understood about you or your community? Throwing all a bunch of damn racist bigots, really. Everybody just looks down on us and it's so infuriating. I mean, I didn't come from some crazy rich stuff. I mean, my grandpa, I mean, I come from the mountains, you know, my grandpa, he didn't have enough food to eat after his 
after his dad died. It was him and his mama, and he he he, he picked cotton, picked peaches, played football, did schoolwork, took care of mama. Uh, and I'm talking about like my grandpa. He just died. It was awful. You know, certain military. Great businessman. He literally, he's the reason why my family's in the position I'm in. Jesus Christ is my grandfather. I mean, I don't hate nobody. I love Jesus. I love everybody. I, I just, it just makes me mad. They look down on us and think like we're trash or think we're stupid or like we're racist or we're this or we're that. And we're not. Like, we got sick of you just, I don't care if it's on the left or the right. I just got sick of everybody looking down on me telling me I should do this, do that, think this, think that, get this policy, get this policy. No matter how bad it screws up my hometown, all the jobs move away. Everybody's poor, regardless of when I have more money than them, you know. We're really the same people, you know. Most of us worship Jesus. We all live in the Mount Scare. We all like our, you know, our guns and our shooting. And it just really ticks me off because it feels like they hate us. Not all of them do. A lot of them don't, but a lot of them genuinely hate us. And like, I just want to be left alone. And it just really... It hurts. It just... Donald Trump's the first person that got us. He's the first person to like, actually at least pretend to give a damn about us since Reagan or even before that. He said, we're going to be proud of America. We're gonna, we're not going to sit here and take a back seat. We're going to get up there. We're going to be proud. I'm not ashamed to be American. I'm not going to apologize to the world on a tour. And that just felt so good because I love this country. I don't agree with everything we do, but I sure damn love it. And just being told that we have to, you know, take it because it's you know, we're racist, they're just stupid, just everybody hates us, looks down on us, don't care about us, don't care what happens to us, meth houses up and down everywhere, everybody grows marijuana, not everybody, but a lot of people, we're in isolation, despair, alcoholism, mental health issues, poverty, we just want to live, and we just want to be, just, we just want to be left the hell alone and not looked down upon, but... It makes you feel less than human, because I mean, even though I'm upper middle class, like that—that's—that's that's my culture, that's my people, that's—that's that's where I love. I want to go there, live there, build up a mountain in a house, and just—and just live a happy life and love Jesus and die there. And I mean, I know I've been on a big old rant, and I know it's—it just hurts because we're told we're not human. And I just—I mean, we have reasons. I mean, we just—we're just like everybody else. We just—we're doing the right thing. And everybody hates us for it. Just it just hurts. <laughs> I don't know why I'm crying. It just it just hurts. That's okay, <laughs> see, man. Thanks for being so honest. I appreciate it. To see my whole town just go downhill just hurts. Turn around and get spit in the face. It just <laughs> it beats you to hell now. It's just hard to get over it. I've never really cried like this before, but it's just hard to bottle it out. It just hurts. It just... It just... <laughs> I just wish we could all just... I know it's stupid and hippie. We should all just get along. But really, the postmodernism, the... Just the hipster culture, the just... It just looks down on all of us. And it just... The cultural diffusion. My whole culture's going away. When I'm 50, there's not going to make us anything different from Seattle or New York or Nebraska. Like... You know, I want to be different. Like, I just want to, like, be proud of my southern culture, my southern heritage, my mountainness, my whatever. And they just, they, they want to take it away. They want to destroy it. Like, and it, it just, <laughs> I mean, we can move on to another question, but it's just, it's just fucking brutal. This makes me think about my, well, my whole family who's living in Kentucky and they are all incredible, compassionate, smart, 
artistic people and they all voted for Donald Trump. And it makes me realize that it, a lot of it has to do with where you live. Yeah, it's, it's a broadly cultural question. And then most of the politics is determined by the culture. I mean, statistically speaking. We don't like to think of it that way. I, I like to think of it as, well, the reason that I have these enlightened progressive political views is because I've done the thinking about it. I've no, done it's the where you live. It's, I live in Seattle. I'm surrounded by people with those views. That's 80% of it probably, if I'm honest. I've got a cousin who lives in Haiti. I mean, the I think a month after the original earthquake happened. Yeah. I say original as if there's been more. I Whatever. Think there's, the, you the know, really the big, big one. one handful, the big one. Yeah. Her and her husband moved there and they have been living there ever since most of the year. And they just provide health care. Like they go do home visits and give kids and women medicine and they voted for Trump, and I'm sitting here not doing any of those things. So who am I to yeah. judge, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like Greg said at the end of episode one, politics isn't everything, you know? There are parts of our heart and our actions and our time and how we spend our resources. These are the things about us that really show who we are, and our voting choices they tend to reflect tribal identity, but they are not who we are. They're not constituent of who we are. Who we are is what we do. How you spend your choose. time. Yeah, how we spend where, our time where and money. you spend your time and your money. Yeah. Are you asking me? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm asking you that for question. real. So look, even within individual people, we have these competing values, right? They duke it out in our own minds, our own hearts. And a good example of this comes from our Trump voter, Jane Doe, obviously not her real name. She chose to be anonymous. We haven't been hearing from her throughout the episode, but I needed to include this bit of conversation that she and I had. Here she is earlier in the interview talking about her concern about the cultural drift moving away from women being able to stay home with their kids and raise them. Okay, so that's what she's worried about early in the interview. I think the sexual re revolution was one of the big problems. I think taking mothers out of the home, mothers have to work now because it's so terribly expensive, but I was privileged to stay home raising our three children, and I just grieve now that so many mothers go back to work when their kids are three months old and they don't get that one-on-one -on -one time first tooth, first step, and also building into them morally because the daycare centers are doing it. Right. So that's her early on. And there is something lost there. But then later on in the interview, I asked her what she was encouraged by in America these days. And this was her response. Well, there's still there's still a lot of good things about America. It's still an awful lot of people trying to get to our country to live here. And I work with children and I just adore children. And I'm encouraged when I see families that are where the fathers are involved with the children as well as the mothers and the children are happy and healthy and i think i think intact families are are very it's a very positive thing and we go to the park and we see all these daddies running around with their little kids and i like to see that when i was growing up fathers were more distant and they didn't get so involved with their children yeah. they wore their suits and their hats when we went to the park and the the mothers usually played with the kids so it's kind of nice to see 
intact families and daddies playing with their children. Well, so, and this will be my final question, there does seem to be a little bit of tension between that, seeing the dads with their kids in the park, and what you said earlier about, well, I would prefer a time when women weren't working and they were at, in ho at the home, but I think that most of the reason that the dads are at the park, I mean, unless it's a Saturday or something, if it's on a weekday, it's be it has to be because mom and dad share employment responsibilities such that they can either the mom is the breadwinner or at least there's mm -hmm. some kind of timeshare where the dad is able to spend some weekday time with his kids. Do you think there's a balance there? Like, should we go all the way back to 1950 and have it regimented? But do you, would you agree that that is a, a, a side benefit of that change is the greater uh, involvement of some of these dads in their children's yes, lives? Yes, I would. I would, yes. Look, I think that political trade-offs are normal, right? So for Jane, there's a trade-off between she prefer women to be able to stay home with their children. She really loved being able to do that herself. But also, the men were distant in right. people's lives. And now she sees these dads with their kids at the park on weekdays, and she thinks that's good. But so she a, doesn't maybe see that that is because... I think she does, yeah. I think the, she got the it. The women... Yeah, that it's because women are working. And so the dads can do that. I think she she did understand what I was saying, that I was like, look, this is a trade-off. So, so there's tension there because she wants both of those things. Right. But you can't really have both, right? So I'll give one more example of a political trade-off. Bernie Sanders, right, is popular with union workers. He's not popular with the pro-immigration contingent. For obvious reason, right? Whose welfare do you value more? The unionized workers against the state and the corporations or the undocumented? It's not an easy question. If you are pro-union, getting a bunch of undocumented cheap labor in undercuts the union. Right? Like there's right, there right. is an inherent tension. <laughs> right. So that's what's going on with Jane in but, her own answers. But also we have to give Jane the benefit of being raised in a time where there right. were no women working. So she doesn't understand really, like I do, being a new mom now in 2018. <laughs> you don't have um, to look at me for that, Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> it's fresh, okay? It's new. Where it's so normal to me. I, I wouldn't know anything different. So I, I, I do give her grace in that she... Was never a mom in, in those times, in these right. times. I'm not criticizing her. I'm, I'm just saying, I think it's interesting how her answer shows that she actually does value both things. Yeah. But maybe her reflex is to default to the old ways. Right. But, but she willingly brought up the dads in the park and the multi-ethnic community that they live in. Right. So I didn't have to push her hard I, on that. I bet it has a lot to do with when she was a mom. So totally. she defaults to that because that was so I would love totally. I would love to do that to not have to work and to be just with my kids freely and not have to worry about money. Yeah. So I I would love every woman to have to not have to work, but but the other side of me says women should be able to work if they want to. Yeah. Well, let's play one final clip. This is to remind ourselves that many, many Trump voters did not like that Trump was their best option or the one that they felt they had to pick. And I know we keep saying this, but it's such a big part of people voting for Trump is that they have the two choices. We hear about Trump's super loyal base 
in the news a lot, but it's good to be reminded that his base is less than 25% of the country. Here is Joy, your girl, expressing her overall frustration. Hey, Joy. (laughs) But what makes me sad is I feel like our election process has become such a frickin' circus, and it has become so outrageous, so expensive, that only the really wealthy can afford to do it, which is a really huge red flag for me, because then money and politics continue, then we continue to elevate people that have money and power, Mm -hmm. and... That, that people who are outside of that literally don't have a chance. Mm-hmm. And good people that have good names, that are have good integrity, they won't put up with the circus. Right. They won't drag their family through the mud. They won't let their name be discredited because they have everything to lose. They've worked hard to gain that, and they care about that, and they've cultivated that. I'm putting all politicians on notice right now <laughs> that I am not going to hold my nose and vote again. I will not hold my nose and say, yes, you're an immoral and horrible person, but I'm going to vote for you anyway. So I think it's time for us to get people in the grassroots part and start bringing up those leaders that are moral, that are not sexual harassers, that, you know, don't lie, that have a proven record of integrity. Those are the candidates that I want to vote for. Mm -hmm. And I want them to be women. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on a no man kick right now. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to phone a friend here who would if you had any celebrity while you're calling, I want to ask if you had any celebrity where you had as a phone a friend, regardless of what the question was, you didn't know what the question was yet. Who would who would would it be still alive? Celebrity phone a friend. Anybody famous that's still alive right now? Oh, it's got to be Ken Jennings from Jeopardy. Good point. He's got a podcast now, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Omnibus. I'm not going to listen to that. It's really good, actually. He goes to the Costco I go to. Oh, he lives here? Yeah. You didn't know that? That's my Costco. <laughs> you've probably shopped with, you've probably had a hot dog a couple of plastic picnic tables away from <laughs> Ken Jennings. A couple of picnic tables made from the same stuff of uh, 1960s roller coasters. It's play school. Yeah, I don't, that makes I don't know what he looks like, so I don't know if I've seen him there. You wouldn't be able to recognize him out of a crowd. He's that plain, but that's why he's so good.